Hashem Hashem Naaseh V'Natzliach, Shiur Torah, Bukhim Abayim. We are uh, back here on our Tuesday night, Igeret Agra, a series uh, where Bezat Hashem, uh, the uh, Gaon Vilna, has been teaching us through his uh, letter how uh, the Chachamim literally had a map, a map of the Torah inscribed in their own neshama and uh, thereby allowing us to copy that map and apply it in our lives to improve our lives. Uh, tonight's shiur will be for a refuah shlema for Rabbanit Levana Bat Sarah, Rabbi Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Sarah Bat Anat, Avi Mori David Ben Nesriya, Imi Morati Doris Bat Zora, uh, Chana Bat uh, Natalia, Orit uh, Bat Ilana, which I actually Baruch Hashem heard last night, uh, she's already uh, fully well, but just one, uh, one more for, uh, uh, for extra blessing. For uh, Ezra ben uh, uh, Batya, which I also heard yesterday that Baruch Hashem, our blessings and our prayers have been fulfilled, where Ezra miraculously uh, does not uh, need the, uh, uh, the, the things that uh, the doctors, the doctors thought he needed. Baruch Hashem, and he's going to be healthy and extraordinary. Talmit Chacham, Bezrat Hashem. Also for a Atzlacha for our uh, very dear friends, uh, the, uh, the Hoffman family, and uh, where they may they succeed in their uh, business, and also win the uh, the green card lottery. Also for Atzlacharba uh, for Henry and, uh, and uh, Rachel, uh, Raquel, and uh, their children and grandchildren. Um, and Atzlacharba uh, for Marsha but Julie, Ayla but Marsha, Samuel ben Marsha, Sefas ben Marsha, Alexander ben Marsha, Louis ben Marsha, Shaul ben Farzane. Uh, and uh, Amir Ben Shahin and all of Am Yisrael and all of the righteous Noahides that continue to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu to the best of their abilities day and night and also may HaKadosh Baruch Hu give a uh, special blessing of protection on the uh, community of uh, Rabbi Aaron Zeev, our very dear Rav and dear friend uh, extraordinary Tamit Chacham that uh, unbeknownst to a lot of people was a, uh, attacked by some uh, anti-Semites uh, last week, and Be'ezot Hashem HaKadosh Baruch Hu uproot all of his enemies from the world as if they never existed. Uh, so, Rabotai Karim, a couple of uh, big, big, big updates. Number one, tomorrow night we uh, have our uh, big event here in South Florida for all of you that have bought your tickets uh, to fly here. Uh, that uh, is only going to be the only expense you're going to have because Baruch Hashem, the event is free. There's going to be a lot of giveaways. Bezal Hashem, some uh, chidushim, some new insights, some chizuk, uh, enough to uh, to keep you guys going until the next event, Bezal Hashem, next month. But uh, this event, I believe, is going to be a very, very special one, uh, unlike any other that we've done in the past. Uh, so Bezat Hashem, tomorrow night's event, uh, anyone that is coming, please RSVP, not just you, but also anybody that you're bringing with you. And all of you that have already signed up, perhaps you can think of two, three, four, or ten names that uh, you can bring with you and uh, get them on board. And even if you forgot to sign them up, just bring them, Bezat Hashem will find them chairs. Uh, so that's update number one, tomorrow night here in South Florida. Uh, the event, you can go to um, chizuk.live, chizuk.live, C-H-I-Z-U-K dot L-I-V-E, 
to uh, look at the details, especially if you want to uh, attend or you want to sponsor. Want to sponsor the event? Uh, we had a couple of small sponsors, but the bulk of the event still is uh, looking for some sponsors for anyone that wants to share uh, in all of the mitzvot that come out of this uh, Hashem, this big event. Uh, so that's update number one. Update number two. Uh, Baruch Hashem, we are getting sued uh, by the evil missionaries, one for Israel. Uh, this has been a long time coming. Uh, the, the details of the lawsuit will be disclosed tomorrow uh, when we release a clip that discusses their lies. Uh, their, uh, their case uh, is, uh, is going to be uh, uh, pretty much thrown back into their face because it's just simply full of lies. But as uh, our way in holiness, we always like to show things with black and white and not just words. So we're actually going to make, we're making a video making a video to address this lawsuit, but nonetheless, uh, it is indeed a lawsuit uh, that uh, we're going to need HaKadosh Baruch Hu's help with. Uh, we're going to need also to find ourselves a, uh, a lawyer. If you are a lawyer that is zealous for Hashem and you're uh, willing to help us, uh, please uh, contact us. If you're one of these lawyers that's looking to get paid, uh, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars or, or some uh, retarded fee, don't even bother contacting us. Uh, I've already spoken to a half a dozen of those, uh, and I'm not interested. So uh, anyone that's interested in actually helping us defend a foolproof case is welcome to. Bezad Hashem, we're going to actually sue them uh, as a result of this. But nonetheless, we still have to deal with this thing, and it's a uh, expense uh, of time, money, and, and so on. But, Baruch Hashem, everything is good. Everything is good. And even Geinom is good. And that's what the topic is today. Why Geinom is good? People, uh, many times that uh, haven't watched enough of our lectures, perhaps they only watched a few clips or a few clips of the clips, and they simply run and uh, to conclude who we are and what we are, you know, they portray us as the scary rabbi, the scary teachers that are extreme, that are fanatic, even though anyone that actually studied our shulim over the years, which Baruch Hashem, there have been many rabbis, Avrechim, Talmidei Yeshivot, Baal Tshuva, converts, all types of people have studied our shulim. Many of them, Baruch Hashem, still to this day continue to watch our shulim on a regular basis, have told us that all we teach is basic level Judaism. So how is it that we teach basic level Judaism? And yet, there are people that call us fanatics and, and, and crazy and so on. Why? Because they don't like the part about Geinom. They don't like the part about Kafakela. They don't like the part about Chibuta Kevil. They don't like the part about Tikuna Brit and all the punishments that will happen to a person in this world and the next for uh, 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 violating their Brit, violating Shabbat, desecrating Hashem's name, bringing missionaries to a synagogue, des you know, doing all these things. They don't like that part. Yeah, but that's what Torah says. Kadosh Baruch destroyed the world at the time of Noah. What do you think? He was joking? He destroyed an entire city, Sodom and Gomorrah. Two different cities. What do you think? He was kidding? He almost annihilated all of Am Yisrael at Mount Sinai in last week's parasha. What do you think? He was kidding? Parashat Bechukotai, Parashat Kitavo, Parashat Azino. These are all parashat that are full of curses, full of scary stuff. What do you think? He's just having it there for show? We had tragedy after tragedy for the last several thousand years. The, the destruction of the first Bet HaMikdash, second Bet HaMikdash, the Spanish Inquisitions, the pogroms, the, uh, the, the libels, the, uh, the, the, the blood libels, obviously anti-Semitism, 
all types of murdering that happened to us in England uh, about 900 years ago. All types of murders on a massive scale all over Europe. Of course, the Holocaust. I mean, all of this stuff. What does everybody think about these stories? They just think that the, the Goyim are just stupid and they just hate us just because? No, this is a rebuke from Hashem. Simple. That's what the Torah tells us. That's Genom in this world. But there's also a Genom in the next world. And the key is for us to know that both are good. Because everything that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does is good, says Rabbi Akiva. And so does his rabbi, Gamzu. Nachumish Gamzu is one of Rabbi Akiva's uh, rabbis. At the end of the Gemara, Masechet Brachot, you have sayings from both of them, and they both agree that everything that the merciful one does is always the best, including Geinom. In fact, the teachings of Geinom, you will learn early on, when you first study about a Geinom, is that Geinom was created on the day that Hashem said, Very good. He said very good. Why? Genom was created. How could Genom be good? How could Kafakela be good? You, you know, Malachei Chabalah, destructive angels fling a soul from one end of the universe to the other while they beat it up. Rabbi Udaftaya in Uchot Mesaprot talks about the horrific things that happened to these people. How could that be good? Chibuta Kever, anyone that watched our movie, Chibuta Kever, if you're still not scared, you should watch it again so you get scared again. Why? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Unless we all do tshuva. Everyone that understands what the message is from all of these things knows it's good and in fact yearns for more. But there are many others, unfortunately, that yearn for something else. Yearn for the opposite. In fact, they dread fear. They hate fear. I even had somebody ask me a question. How come when we bless Hashem... How come it says, uh, we, we say that Hashem created, you know, is, uh, uh, that everything was uh, created, uh, uh, that he created everything, but the way that the language is used, the Hebrew language is used, is that it's like a commandment. Why can't we say that everything was created by Hashem in, in a nicer way, that he told us to do it? Because the commandments were commandments, not suggestions. And therefore, when we know the difference between a commandment versus a suggestion, we realize why Genom is not only good, but it's necessary. It's necessary. So the Gaon Mi Vilna is firing us up, telling us time and time again that we have to learn. We have to learn Musa, we have to learn Alakha, we have to learn, we have to learn, we have to learn. So does the Chazonish. So does Rav Wasserman, so does Rav Ovadia. All of the Chachamim say, learn, 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 learn. Learn Torah, not philosophy. Learn what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants from you. Not everything else that everybody else wants from you. Learn. But then he threw us a curveball. Then he confused us. Then he took us on a roller coaster and then bringing us back again. What is he saying? He said, no, no. If you're just reading this Musar... If you're just listening to the lecture superficially and you're not taking notes, despite the rabbi telling you 15,000 times, take down notes. If you are still listening to it as background music while you're managing conversations, if you're reading the book, but in reality, it goes in one ear, it goes out the other. Somebody asks you, what'd you read? You don't have no idea. 
But you have a lot of books in your library that you could tell people, yeah, I read that one. I read that one. Uh, I think I read that one. You think you read that one? You think you read that one? If you read that one, you should pretty much have it imprinted in your mind. I don't mean memorize it, but imprint it in your mind of what kind of impact it had on you. If you think you read it, that means that you simply wasted your time. And that's what the Gaumi Vilna says. Chas v'shalom, that you just read Musar books. Chas v'shalom, God forbid, you read Musar books and just read them. Why? That is a key to a tragedy. A tragedy unlike any other. Why unlike any other? If you have two cases, one guy learns Torah, he learns Musar, and he just reads the other guy doesn't learn anything just goes has a good time boyfriends girlfriends dogs cats whatever is in his way he tries to acquire now both of them of course have a uh, bad destination why the guy that's learning superficially and doesn't apply it to his life uh, the gaumi villa says god forbid such a person exists god forbid the person just reads superficially where is he gonna go he's gonna think he's righteous but in reality he's wicked he thinks he's righteous because he read a bunch of books, but the second that his wife gets him mad, he gives her a right and sometimes even a left. The second somebody crosses him on a highway, he curses them, their mother, and every descendant that ever came from them. What happened? You learned Musa. Yeah, I learned Musa, but at the moment of a test, I forgot. Oh, you forgot. And then there's the guy that doesn't learn. That guy that doesn't learn is not as big of a tragedy. Why is he not as big of a tragedy? Because the guy that doesn't learn doesn't really expect much. He doesn't expect much. Nothing is expected from him. No one is saying, oh, look at that guy, Itzik, that never learned a day in his life and how wicked he is. Nobody really thinks that he's going to be righteous. He's just Itzik. He's just Shmuel. He's just David. He's just some guy out there that nothing is expected from him other than, I don't know, just be a normal human being without killing anybody in your way. Hopefully. The other guy that learned wears a yarmulke even, perhaps even has a beard, attends shul once in a while. He learns a few Musar books. That's the tragedy. Why is it a tragedy? Because he thinks he's righteous and thereby he thinks he's doing good and he thinks that good is going to come his way. And lo and behold, one day the time is up after 120 and he goes up to Shemaim and Hashem says, Oh, yeah, oh, hey, Shmuel. Yeah, yeah, we've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you. Okay, so we have a whole VIP uh, list. You're on it. Oh, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, thanks, Hashem. Wow, great. Appreciate it. Oh, no, no, you're, you're going to appreciate it a lot more in a second. Yeah, you have uh, Hitler, uh, Osama bin Laden, uh, Saddam Hussein, and even Gaddafi. Uh, Gaddafi, they're all in the same plate. Well, what do, you, what do you, you just said VIP? Yeah, VIP, VIP. You're going to be with them. What, what do you mean? Wait, wait, did, did Saddam Hussein do tshuva? Was he really the, the, the one that wrote Masilat Yisharima? What? What's going on? No. He didn't write Masilat Yisharim just like you didn't read it. No, no, but I read it. No, no, you didn't read it. You read the words, but you didn't apply it to your life. You read the words but you didn't apply it to your life. And when you didn't apply it to your life, there's no bigger tragedy than that. Because you lived your entire life deluded, thinking that you're one thing, and in reality, being something else. 
So the Gaon Mivilna is saying that there is a very big danger. Why? It's in essence, it's, it's like a spiritual cancer that is silent unless the person himself searches out for it. No other doctor can find it. No one can diagnose it except the person himself. By doing self-accounting, by doing self-accounting, by doing cheshbon nefesh, looking deep into his own heart, looking deep into our own heart. Why are you publicizing things on the internet? Are you publicizing Torah on the internet because you're looking for somebody to think that you're smart? Are you publicizing things on the internet that look like Torah because you want people to think that you're religious? Are you publicizing things on the internet because you want everyone to know that if there's a question, they can come to you? Is that why you're publicizing things on the internet? Oh, so you're looking for kavod. You're looking for honor. Perhaps you should get off the internet. What do you mean? But I'm spreading uh, Torah. No, no, no. You're spreading gaiva. You're spreading gaiva. You're spreading pride. That's what you're spreading. Why? You, you send everybody pictures of your Shulchan Shabbat? Show everybody how beautiful your Shulchan Shabbat is? Why did you do it? Did you do it because you want to show off how beautiful your house is and the $3,000 chandelier and how nice each one of those $500 chairs are with the beautiful golden uh, 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 plates to show everybody you're well-to-do. You're doing okay. Perhaps this could happen to somebody, to you, the, the viewer. You should like my video. Maybe I'll even bless you. Is that why you're doing it? Or you're doing it with the intention of showing people all of my honor, all of my resources, all of it is for Hashem. All of it is for Hashem. The house that I bought, for Hashem. The car that I bought, for Hashem. The books, I study them, for Hashem. Everything is for Hashem. It's good to have good, but you need to know how to use good. Unfortunately, many times people spread good. They spread the Torah, they spread the pictures, but not really for Hashem. They spread it in order to earn some type of respect, some type of honor, some type of like, popularity, and thereby they fall into the trap not realizing that they have a spiritual cancer that even their viewers cannot diagnose. Only they themselves can find it and uproot it or simply continue living a life, expecting to go to Gan Eden, but being like the woman that's mentioned in the Reshit Chochmah, a woman that was fasting, each week she would fast. Each week she would fast, says the Reshit Chochmah. Rabbi Eliyahu Vidas, 400 years ago, one of the greatest tzaddikim in history, writes a story of a woman. She used to fast each week, and she goes up to Shemaim, and they tell her, you're going to Gehenom, and there's going to be a special level for you in Gehenom. But wait a minute, but I fasted. Yes, you fasted. And you told everybody that you're fasting, because you were fasting in order to tell everybody that you're fasting, in order to make everybody think that you're more righteous than what you really are. In reality, the fast wasn't for tshuva. The fast wasn't for servitude of Hashem. The fast wasn't for eliminating materialism. The fast was to, what? Stroke your own pride. So what are we gonna do with all of that, those words? that you spread to tell, oh, you, you, are you fasting on Thursday? Oh, you're not, oh, I am. Oh, okay, you did that last week also. Yeah, oh, you remembered? 
Well, yeah, you've been telling me every week, every Wednesday, you've been telling me if I'm fasting. You keep calling me, asking me if I'm fasting. And every week I tell you I'm not fasting. And every week you pretend like you didn't know that I'm not fasting just to tell me that you're fasting. Oh, really? I didn't notice. Oh, you didn't notice that you keep telling me that you're fasting? You didn't notice that you keep telling me of how, you know, you're the most righteous person on planet Earth? You, you, you didn't notice? Well, we noticed. In Shemaim, they noticed. And they took that woman, says Rabbi Eliyahu Vidas. And they made her ear, her ear, into the part that holds the door to Gehenom. Why? Because all of the servitude that you had was for the sake of gaining respect, gaining honor, looking righteous. So we see here that not all good deeds get rewards. Sometimes the good deed deep inside that HaKadosh Baruch Hu sees everything is really a bad deed. It's really a person serving themselves. Says the Gaon Mivilna, Rabotai Yekarim, if you are only looking at the words of Musar superficially, it is a tragedy for all of us, myself especially. It is a tragedy if we do not apply these words. A tragedy. No different than any other great Holocaust that has happened to our nation in general. Why? Because a person could literally live a lie their entire life thinking that it's true. Thinking that it's true. One of the most horrific things that a person can see is when a person realizes that their entire life is, is, is just one big ball of falsehood. Part of it is good because many times you see people that hated Hashem all of a sudden fall in love with Hashem. People that were, that were against Hashem, against Torah, all of a sudden adopt Torah. People that were living falsianity, uh, you know, uh, uh, idolizing some human being that was, a, that was a piece of garbage pretty much. That uh, 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 this guy, they idolized him, they made him into some god, they formed an entire religion around him, and they realized this is idolatry. So, then you show them, this is all falsehood. You show them a Rabbi Mizrahi debate, you show them Rabbi Tovia Singer debates, you show them uh, perhaps a few of my own shirim, you make the person realize, that's the truth, everything you believed in for the last 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years is complete falsehood. And you see those people that accept the truth, crumble in front of your eyes initially they crumble they don't shine right away they crumble why because although they see that what they believed is false adopting the truth is a transition so in between that transition of accepting that what they believed what they stood for what they lived for is false to adopting the truth there's a transition there's a gap that gap is death on earth that gap is genom. Why? It's emptiness. It's nothing. You start thinking that God doesn't exist. You start thinking that if he exists, he hates you. You start thinking all types of crazy thoughts. It's the worst thing in the world. But it's necessary pain. It's necessary pain. And anyone that knows that people that have gone through this transition, either people that were tough by lechuva or converts, especially people that came from the church itself, and they convert to Judaism, they go through this transition. Many times they go through a painful transition. And from an outside perspective, you feel bad. You feel their pain, but you're happy. Why? Because you know that good is ahead. So sometimes that pain is good. Sometimes that pain is necessary. Good things are coming. But everyone has to know that not all pain is good. Sometimes we're inflicting the pain on ourselves. 
because we simply do not want to evaluate ourselves. We want to evaluate everyone else. We want to look at everybody else. We want to criticize everybody else. We see the wrong in everybody else. We do not see anything wrong in ourselves. As the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat in many other places says, "An Adam A person does not see an obligation, a deficiency in himself naturally. Why? Because he thinks, listen, if, I, if, I, if it was bad, surely I would recognize it. But the truth is, you wouldn't. Naturally, you would not. Why? Because a person is not naturally going to dissect his own actions. And even if he does, what are you comparing it to? Are you comparing it to, you're comparing your actions versus your current predisposition, your current opinion, your current uh, 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 likes, or you're comparing it in comparison to what HaKadosh Baruch Hu already said and will never change. What are you comparing it to? So that's the thing. There are a lot of people out there that reflect but what are you reflecting against? What is your truth? What is your truth that you're comparing against? What's that blueprint that you're comparing against? If, you, if your blueprint is full of falsehood, it's full of things that are biased, it's full of things that are against the sham, guess what? The blueprint is wrong. So there is no chance of you doing good ultimately. It's always doing whatever serves you. So the Gaumi Vilna says, how could it be that a person will learn the Musar books and still stay at a church? Will learn the Musar books and still be part of, of communities that are against Hashem? Have best friends that are home, openly homosexual? Have relations with people that are atheists and express their atheism openly and proudly? How could a person that reads and learns Musar, watches your own Reuven on the internet on a regular basis, but continues to drive on Shabbos. How could it possibly be? The Gaumi Vilna gives us two reasons. But today he's going to give us a deeper, a deeper explanation of something that's even worse than those two reasons. Something that is fundamental. Something that is fundamental that we need to add to those two reasons. What is it, Rabotai? He says to us that some people, some people, just read it. Just read the Musar Chas Shalom. And he gives us a couple of allegories of what he compares it to, of how it's like compared to someone who sows seeds without having plowing them, where the wind will snatch these seeds, or someone that uh, sowed but he didn't seal the field. So both of these are disasters. Both of these are disasters. Why are these both of these disasters? Because the guy that's sowing the seeds but he's uh he's not plowing the birds are going to come and eat it the guy that is sowing the seeds plowing them but he doesn't have any fence any protection surely the animals are going to come and eat it anyway different animal but not the same animal but nonetheless an animal will come this is like the gomi vilna says the two reasons of why musar doesn't work for certain people the first guy that just listens to the lecture reads the book superficially it doesn't affect his life her husband came home 15 minutes late she wants to divorce him the kids don't want to eat what she made for dinner she wants to hit them so they can remember it till next week why why are you losing your mind okay certain things are annoying but does it really warrant such a uh, craziness such anger such rage okay so you don't get along fine can you find a way to get along or you just want to kill each other 
Don't you watch Musar? Don't you read the books? Yes, but I don't know. It's not helping with this case. No, no, it's not that it's not helping with this case. It's that it's not helping with anything because you're not using it the right way. You have a hammer, but you're using it as something to perhaps hold up some of your, uh, uh, some of your clothes up. You have, a, uh, 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 you have tools, but you're misusing them. This is like a person that has the seeds but is not plowing them. A person that learns Musar, learns, but does not have, does not have any intention of actually applying it to their life. That's one of the first poisons that a person feeds themselves. Feeds themselves. Study Musa without an intention of internalizing the lessons. The second one is that he did study Musa and he did intend to internalize it. But he still failed. But she still failed. Why did they still fail? No plan of attack. Oh, I want to do what the rabbi says. Good, do it. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess I got to do it. Well, yeah, I mean, you're going to, you, you, why are you going to sleep at 5 o'clock in the morning? How are you going to go show up to work? How are you going to show up to Beknesset? Uh, How are you going to pray? How are you going to learn? Why are you still playing all these mumbo-jumbo video games on the internet if you're planning on doing good? Oh, yeah, I guess I got to change my schedule, huh? Well, I don't know. That's uh, at least the first step. At least the first step. Person has to have a plan of attack. Sometimes a person has the right intentions, but no plan. This is like the person that sowed the seeds, plowed the field, but didn't put a fence. Didn't put a fence. Well, he still exposed himself to the same behavior he had before he learned. Same thing with people that they are from, but they socialize with people that are not from, but not socialize like high by. Socialize like they go to their houses, let's have a drink. They bring them over. They have their kids play together. Oh, yeah, but he's my cousin. Why? You don't want me to see my cousin? I don't care if you see your cousin or not. You should care. Why? Your cousin is against God. Your cousin hates God. Your cousin even has a blog that's against God. And you think it's okay for your kids to play with his kids? What do you think? What kind of fruits do you think he's going to create if that's what he believes and that's what he does? Your, your, your friend, your cousin, your uncle, your father even is an enemy of God. You can't socialize with people like this. Yeah, but it's a wedding. Everybody's going. Okay, everybody except you. Why can't I go? I'm, I'm not going to socialize with them. If you go to a perfumery, whether you like it or not, you're coming out with a few new smells. It's just a reality. It's just a reality. So a person that thinks that they can waltz around society, hang out with whoever they want, talk with whoever they want, listen to whatever they want, watch whatever they want, but think that the teachings of Torah, teachings of Musar, that's what's going to save them? You're incorrect. You're incorrect. You have to have a plan of attack of how to change your life. You have to have a plan. If you don't have a plan, then unfortunately you have a very, very serious problem. What is it like? There was once a foolish villager came into the market, came into town. And he's in town, he sees all types of new things he never saw in his life, and all of a sudden, he hears a siren. He doesn't know, whoa, what, 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 what's going on? What's, what, what is that? What is that music? What is that? What is it? And everyone's looking at this confused villager. Sir, are you okay? 
Yeah, what, what is that music? Oh, no, 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 sir. That's not music. That's a siren. Siren. Si that's that siren. What is a siren? Tell me what a siren is. Why do you have it? Oh, see, we have a system where we have this siren, but as soon as the siren comes out, as soon as it's the sound, that tells us there's a fire. And as soon as there's a fire, we need, to obviously, to take it out because it's danger. So the firemen come in and they take out the fire. Wow, that's amazing. Where do I get one of those? What do you mean, a siren? Yeah, 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 I want to get one. How do I get one? Well, you can just go to the manufacturer. Where's the manufacturer? Oh, he's this street, that street. So the foolish villager goes to the manufacturer, says, yeah, I want one of them sirens. Uh, you, excuse me? I want a siren. Actually, you know what? How much is it? Says it's uh, $200. Uh, $200 uh, All right, you know what? Five. Give me five of them sirens. Okay, sir. We'll get them ready for you. To get the sirens ready, put it on his truck. The villager goes back to his town. Happy as can be like he just won the lotto five times. Shows up to his town. Everybody in his town is very similar to him. Never seeing a uh, Rabbi Yaron Reuven lecture. Never uh, learning any type of Torah. Never learning any type of uh, science. Never learning any type of anything. But they see the truck. They see something in the back. And they all run to the truck. What do you got there, George? And he say, well... I got the cure for everything. Do you? What do you have? I got the siren. Siren? What is the siren? <laughs> You'll see. I'm going to connect them. We don't even have to connect them electricity to it. Oh no. What are you going to do to it? Just you'll see. I got somebody taught me how to do it, how to build it. How to... You're going to see what it does. Okay. They see these things. No one really knows what they do. But everybody's just watching them. Whole day passes, nothing happens. Sure it works. It works. Don't worry. Another day passes. Another day passes. Well, guess what? After a few days, fire broke out. Little George pressed the siren. And guess what happened? Everybody's like, whoa, what is this thing doing? He goes, don't worry. Blessing's coming. What blessing's coming? You're going to see. You're going to see. What's coming? There's a fire. Get out of the... No, no, no. Don't worry. No, I'm going to go help the... the, the, the I'm going to go for, put it out. Don't even waste the water. Siren's going to take of it. What? The siren. The siren. It's going to take care of it. You're going to see a blessing. Everybody's looking at the siren, making a lot of noise. No one knows what's going on. The building is burning. The house is burning. Before you know it, the burning is, is consuming half the town. Everybody's angry at George. You fool. What are you doing? What are these stupid sirens you bought us? You told us not to take out the fire because you have a siren. The siren didn't do nothing. He says, I don't know. Maybe they sold me a bill of goods. They lied to me. The whole town shows up to the manufacturer in the market. Says, you better have a good explanation of why you sold us bad sirens. He says, I didn't sell you bad sirens. They, they make a noise? He says, yeah, they make a noise. But nothing happens. What do you mean nothing happens? They make the noise. Yeah, but nothing happens. Well, what do you want to happen? Well, I was told that once the, the siren goes off, truck comes, 
Firemen come, they take out the fire. And fire happened, siren went off. No fire truck, no fireman, half the town got burnt. So the clerk was a little smarter than the villager. He said, uh, George, your name? Yeah, George. Do you have a fire department that you corresponded with, communicated with to let them know about the siren? He goes, don't change the conversation. Tell me why the siren didn't work. He goes, no, no, this is not changing the conversation. The siren has to communicate with the fire department. Did you connect it with the fire department to let them know that that's what it means? That's the whole message? Because if you didn't, all it is, is a noisemaker. What does it have to do with what we're talking about? Rabotai Karim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu send each and every single one of us a personal message. Have Yirat Shamaim. Do more chesed. Be more kind to people. Be more understanding. Stand up for the emet. Love HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Withstand the tests. Learn more, do more. That's the siren, that's the noise, up and down. Sometimes a noisy lecture, sometimes it's quiet. Sometimes, ooh, just like the siren, goes up, goes down, goes up, goes down. But if you're not connecting that siren, you're not connecting those shurim, that Torah, that Musar, to some type of action, all it is, is noise. Oh, it is is noise. It'll do nothing for you. It'll do nothing for you. All it will do is give you that initial good feeling like George the Fool had. George the Fool had a good feeling when he brought five sirens to his town. But later on, he got a grave disappointment. Let's not be those people that live our life where we just hear. We hear the truth. We hear it. Yeah, have more Yirat Shamayim. Fear, fear, fear. But the second a test comes, we break apart. We crumble. Well, what happened? Why did the siren work? The siren has to be connected to a fire department. It has to be connected to your neshama. It has to be connected to your lifestyle. It has to be connected to your decisions. You can't just have the sounds made in your ears and do nothing. Many people, the Gaumi Vilna says, many people can have that siren inside their house for years, but it does nothing for them other than making them believe that they're safe, making them believe that they're okay. It's important for us to know that the fire department, part of the story, the actions we apply to our life is what the Gaumi Vilna was initially scared of. A person could read a Musar book, could hear fiery lecture and do nothing. But then there's something worse. Then there is something even worse that he elaborates on today. He says, Says the Gaon Mivilna, 
Now that we know that there are two critical things that we need to take into account when we're learning Torah, when we're learning Musar, when we're learning period, that we have to have a goal, have a plan. Don't just learn superficially. But he says, but there is something that is more critical. What? A circumstantial change. A circumstantial change that is even more critical than the first two things that we discussed, which is that some, some plant on a stone, these very same seeds that some people plant them but don't sow, or some people plant them and sow them but don't protect them. He says there are some people, in the third example, some people that plant these seeds on stone, and this is comparable to a heart of stone into which nothing can enter. And therefore, it's necessary to strike the stone until it breaks open. And that's why I wrote to you to hit our children without mercy if they don't heed you. Some nusach say if they curse. As it says in Mishle, train a youth according to his own way. This is an important principle of education. So here we see that the Gaon Vilna goes in a, another direction elaborating on a point that perhaps is going to bring us to where we need to be. Because so far, your average person could say, listen, I'm not sitting here watching you for two hours because... I don't have a, uh, any intention of applying it to my life. And then another person can say, okay, maybe I didn't. I wanted to apply it, but I didn't have a plan. So now I will have a plan. So how does this sure have anything to do with me about a heart of stone? It has everything to do with all of us. This third part, perhaps more than the first two. This third part, more than the first two, because... He brings us a allegory to tell us that sometimes we're planting, but we're planting in the wrong place. We're planting on stone, and that's comparable to our hearts. Sometimes our hearts, sometimes the hearts of our loved ones, sometimes the hearts of our people are stone. And it's not just something that the Gaomi Vilna is creating out of thin air, chas v'shalom, as the chazonish says that when we speak about the Gaon Vilna, we consider him as if he's one of the Rishonim. The Rishonim means one of the sages of the times of the Rambam. And the Ramban, meaning well before he lived. 700 years before he lived. He's considered as if he was living at the time of the Rambam and the Ramban. So, the Gaon Vilna says that sometimes we have a heart of stone as the prophet Yechezkel gives us a prophecy of what the end of days will look like. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, once he brings the salvation in chapter 36 verse 26 he promises us V'natati lechem lev chadash v'ruah chadasha eten bekirbechem I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. 
I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Here we see that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is one of the gifts of the salvation, which we will elaborate on later on tonight, Be'ezot Hashem, of what this verse means to us even deeper than what we're referring to right now. One of the gifts of the salvation for those of us that merit to live through that, to see it, is that Hashem is going to replace the hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. Of course, he's not talking physically. We're talking about spiritual, having a heart of stone. But what is this heart of stone? What does it have to do? What does it have to do with having a uh, new heart altogether, a new spirit, before we get to this replacement of this heart of stone? So a new heart, Chachamim teach us, is new emotions, new perspective. New perspective of where you want to be. Where in the past, we had a constant battle between wanting to be in our desires that went against Hashem and now having a desire to only be with Hashem. That's the, that's the replacement of the heart. And replacement of, of having a new spirit. New spirit is new imagination, new ambition, aspiring to do even more. Having the ambition to not just make more money, but having the ambition to learn more Torah, to serve Hashem even more, to connect even deeper. So not only desiring to be in a, in a, in a, in a better place, and desiring the good, but having an ambition for even more. So what does that have to do with the heart of stone? Why does the heart of stone need to be replaced? Just like if somebody had their engine break, you don't just put the second engine on top of the first engine. You have to remove the broken engine. Kadosh Baruch Hu has to remove that stone heart. He has to remove that stone heart and replace it with a new heart. A heart that's tuned to where it needs to be tuned. But why do we have this stone heart? And what does that have to do with Geinom? Why does the Gaomi Vilna speak so aggressively and saying that this heart of stone is so concerning that that's the reason why I told you that if the kids curse, if they don't heed you, they don't listen to you hit them and don't have mercy of course words to the wise is he's not referring to becoming an abusive parent there was one person that came to Rav Steinemann Allah Shalom and says for the rabbi I want to fulfill the mitzvah of listening to our rabbis he says yeah okay what do you want to listen to he says I want to listen to the Gaon Mi Vilna's recommendation to hit my kids without mercy so Rav Steinemann says to him, ah, you want to hit your kids with without mercy like the Gomi Vilna wrote. Yeah, 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 I remember that. But do you study Torah like the Gomi Vilna? Do you serve a Kadosh Baruch Hu like the Gomi Vilna? Do you have the same intention from hitting as the Gomi Vilna had? Or you just want to hit your kids because you're an angry person? So of course, this is has to be taken from the, in the right perspective. Not just go beat up people. Here he's telling us that if 
you, your child, has a heart of stone, it has to be broken. And breaking is physical. Breaking is something that requires impact. And that impact sometimes is spiritual impact, sometimes it's physical impact. But nonetheless, something must be broken. Something must be broken in order for us to get to the next level. Now the Gomi Vilna brings us a couple of allegories to let us know that the words of Musar that are not internalized are not going to be effective. If there's no plan, they're not going to be effective. And now he adds even more and says that there's something even more significant where this stone heart is something that a person has to evaluate if they themselves have a stone heart. Because if you listen to Musar and you have an intention to internalize it and you even have a plan to internalize it, but you see nothing is changing, you, my dear friend, have a stone heart. It may be only a stone heart in one aspect, for one desire that you have. Like some people tell me, if God didn't want me to waste seed, why did he create me with such an addiction? If God didn't want me to be homosexual, then why did he make me like same sex? If God didn't want me to eat non-kosher, then why did he give me a house that is right next door to the best non-kosher restaurant in town? If God didn't want me to marry this uh, non-Jew, then why did he make me fall in love with this non-Jew? God didn't make you do anything. You followed a desire and you started doing it in such a way started eating started drinking started performing started uh, internalizing it so often with such conviction that you started believing that this is what you need and not just what you want this is what you are and not just something that you're addicted to it's like christianity and all other types of falsehood where after saying the lies so many times it starts to sound like it's true and this is in essence what we sometimes do to ourselves where we fall into the satan's trap going against the shem falling in love with some type of desire a desire to oversleep a desire to overeat a desire to be intimate with the wrong people or even with the right person but at the wrong times a desire that is against the Torah and we do it with such conviction that we start believing that this is the right thing this is where I need to be yeah but the Torah says it's not allowed no no, no. you're not understanding the Torah no but Hashem says homosexuality is an abomination yeah he was referring probably to people at Mount Sinai no no no, no. the Torah is for eternity yeah he's referring to people that live in Israel no, no, no. Torah is for everybody all over the world. Our Talmud was written in Bavel, in Iraq. Yeah, but he's not referring to today's generation. Everything to have an excuse for. Everything to have an excuse for. What does that mean? They have a heart of stone. A stone that was created from the sin 
itself developing into a klipa. Each time a person performs a sin, there's a spiritual shell that encompasses their neshama. They make the sin again, another layer of the shell. They encompass the, uh, they, they uh, make the sin again, another layer. They make the sin and justify it, an even thicker layer. After a while, all of those shells are no longer like eggshells, but rather like an actual boulder, a rock, a klipa that's thick enough to be a mountain, a klipa that you cannot just simply say, listen, it's not good for you, and it'll break. A klipa that even if you tell, listen, you're going to get punished for it, and it'll do much. But how do you deal with this klipa? How do you deal with this shell that does not allow you to see the truth as good and falsehood as bad? How do you break that shell? How does the Gaon Mivilna feel the need to teach his wife, his students, his descendants, Klal Yisrael, that if a child gets to a certain point, a child that could be 8, 9, 10 years old, or a child that could be 30, 40, 50 years old biologically, but spiritually like an infant. That child will need to have that shell broken. Isn't that irresponsible? No. It's quite the opposite. It's in fact the most critical statement that we can learn from the entire letter when it applies to our generation today. Many times you have people that transform their lives completely after watching one of the scary movies that we've put together, Baruch Hashem, whether it's Tikkun Abrit that has over a hundred, maybe even 120 Torah sources that are quoted on the screen scary Torah sources, but nonetheless Torah sources, scientific sources, all types of a, uh, uh, sociological uh, uh, sources. There's a lot of things, but there's over a hundred or so Torah sources that are mentioned in that film that would scare any normal human being to death from ever touching their breed, needless to say, even looking at their breed. If you watch the movie, Chibuta Kevil, a person becomes so scared, or at least they're supposed to be, that they start figuring out how can I start doing tshuva now? What do you mean? It's 12 o'clock at night. Yes, I need to do tshuva now. No, you need to go to sleep. No, no, I need to do something. I need to do tshuva now for something. A movie that has dozens and dozens of Torah sources that are scary of what happens after a person dies. But nonetheless, a effective tool to have people transform their life. Some people hear tidbits of it in my own personal journey where one day I was on top of the world theoretically and financially and so on. And the next day I'm fighting for my life in pain and agony, 
for years and years and people relate to it and they connect to it they decide to start transforming their life as a result of it because they're afraid that this will happen to them or it is happening to them and they see this is i want to follow the same solution he did this medicine worked for him i'm going to use the same medicine who is wise someone who sees what's born you see that the torah brought good for me surely it'll bring good for you but parts of that lecture were scary parts of that movie were scary the lecture we did about kafakela the lecture we did about genom all of the other lectures that we discussed the intricate details of what happens to people that get punished many people watch these lectures and transform their life that's the good news unfortunately the bad news is that there are some although a small minority some that watch parts of it usually they don't last through the whole movie or the entire lecture usually they watch parts of it or they watch in small segments here and there with intentions of making fun of it mocking it in different ways trying to discredit it by simply saying this cannot be real yeah but there's Torah sources oh you misreading it maybe okay so prove that I'm misreading it prove anything bring sources otherwise then they can't and they won't because it doesn't exist but they have to express their opinion to the, for the world to see of how they're not buying into it why buying into it will require them to change the desire the desire that they're addicted to the inappropriate spiritually illegal relationship has to be broken and they don't want it to be broken the addiction to all types of substances acts behaviors of all types and thoughts have to be eliminated and they don't want it to they feel good when they do those things and they've done those things enough time and live with those things with such commitment that they've developed a klipa that is like a rock so the moment they hear something that contradicts their predisposition contradicts their mo contradicts their simple perspective on life and the purpose of it their natural reaction is to combat it to mock it to call us and anyone that follows the Torah for the last 3,300 plus years a fanatic crazy person and all types of other interesting names and they'll even sometimes say to you no I'm just as religious or even more religious than you even though I do everything the opposite of what you say in the lecture how could it be I'm religious in my own way they say I'm religious in my heart and God knows my heart 
but God that knows your heart also said how to serve him that they won't have an answer for aside from telling you no that's not applicable to me I'm unique you are unique that your klipa over your heart your spiritual heart is so thick that nobody but you can fix it and thereby putting them in a situation where they reject the truth reject it with passion reject it with zeal and putting them in a perspective where they're almost a lost cause but Baruch Hashem they're not because they're still alive and these people don't even know that what they're doing is wrong and don't even know that the very same thing that they're mocking the very same thing that they're going against the very same thing they're rejecting vehemently is the cure it's like somebody that's suffering an incurable disease and a cure is created miraculously and there's only one dose that's required and one dose that exists and the creator of that or the the one that found this cure offers it to them for free you can charge them whatever you want because if not for this cure they're doomed he says you could have this cure for this disease that you have this detrimental disease this disease that is killing you faster than you can even imagine while destroying your life in the process here's the cure and he hands them the bottle and instead of accepting the bottle instead of crying out of emotions and gratitude they slapped the bottle out of his hand saying get the heck out of my face with that stupid fake medicine I'm good I'm perfectly healthy to their fortune the real creator of that medicine can always create more and does create more and keeps giving them opportunities to take it and keeps sending messengers that are willing to take the abuse just because they know that you are a Shem's child and are worth saving and the bottle gets slapped out of their hand and they get mocked and they get insulted and they get a lot of things but they don't get a new customer at least not you all they get is headaches sounds crazy that's life that's the life that the leaders of Am Yisrael lived throughout all of the generations from the time of the prophets all the way until today each one carrying the cure to the spiritual cancer of each and every single individual 
big and small, carrying the free cure to the spiritual cancer of society at large, of the Jewish world, of the world of the Gentiles, of the world of female, male, child and adult. Having the cure that everyone is more likely to slap out of their hands after insulting them and letting them know that why are you even giving me a cue when I'm perfectly healthy? And they'll continue doing it day in and day out because once in a while somebody does take the cure. The problem is that it's really not one dose. It's one dose to start and then continue treatment. And that dose is very painful. The dose is very painful because the dose of truth to a person that's committed to a world of lies is that person not only accepting that initial pain, but accepting to continue reopening that wound on a regular basis until all of the filth, all of the spiritual infection is manually uprooted from their neshama, manually uprooted each and every one of those layers from their heart to the point where it doesn't exist and there is no side effects. There is no recollection. There is nothing. Now, of course, most medicine doesn't usually work that way, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu's medicine does. Which means that this deliverer of the truth, deliverer of the medicine, has to have no less commitment to distributing the medicine than the person that is willing to take it. And that's not hard to, uh, that's not easy to find. As Rav Yitzhak Blazer, Alaba Shalom, one of the Talmidei Muvakim, the head of Talmidim of Rabbi Yisrael Misalat, wrote in his Or Israel that there is a spiritual disease with only one cure. But virtually nobody wants to be the doctor. It's a disease. He says there are many diseases and there are many medicines. And there are endless amount of doctors, more doctors than there are medicines for the physical ailments of society. Whether it's a sneeze or an earache or a stomach flu. For each ailment, there are multiple cures and even more doctors looking to distribute it. But the spiritual disease, he writes, the spiritual disease has only one cure. And hardly anyone wants to be the doctor. You see, Rabotai, the ones that are not so sick don't usually require the hard medicine. But we live in a society that 
already has regulated itself to consume the worst poisons that ever existed on a regular basis in such a fashion where it's become normal among all of society to think that pornography is good sports are good the word fan being a fan is good even though it comes from the word fanatic and sports fans are fanatics typically they're not people that just watch once in a blue moon it's usually a daily fanaticism addiction drugs perfectly fine if you can handle because they compare it to things that are permissible and not as detrimental at first like alcohol and they say oh why if i if i why can i have a kiddush cup and uh do kiddush and i can't have some marijuana and i can't have a line of coke and i can't have this because the two are two different things no one is going to get drunk off of a few sips of the kiddush cup and drinking from the kiddush cup is a mitzvah that the torah commands that the uh, the the, the kadosh bahu instilled into the world it's part of the tikkun olam you smoking marijuana is not tikkun of everything it's just a destruction there is no mitzvah and even one puff can affect your mentality and in some cases certain drugs one puff can simply end your life but no one is going to die from a sip of alcohol or wine that you drink in kiddush but of course the people that have the bias the people that have the addiction whether it be addiction to marijuana or addiction to some other type of drug they're not going to look at things that way why because it negates their reality negates their desire negates their addiction same thing with people that are addicted to corrupt business they're addicted to being corrupt in business sometimes you meet people and it's amazing how who allows these people to exist sometimes because you see how every other word from this person is corrupt they tell you about their thought process of how they conduct their business how they manage their relationship how they justify stealing how they justify lying how they justify manipulating and they're even proud of it many times and you say to yourself this guy is literally addicted to corruption to stealing to being a thief to being a ganav no less than some crackhead is addicted to crack and maybe the crackhead is in better situation than he is because many times the crackhead knows that what he's doing is wrong whereas the guy that's addicted to corruption and business many times doesn't see anything wrong with him what he's doing because of the so-called good that comes out of it the few shekels that he gives to people in staka and charity and so on certain people are addicted 
to these things. And when you highlight that their business is corrupt, that they're charging a predatory interest rates on their loans, both to Jews and non-Jews, and that is not a kosher business, it's forbidden by the Torah and the rabbis, and they're literally creating a weapon of mass destruction with each business transaction they make, whether it be the cash advance business, merchant cash advance business that's unfortunately alive and well today, or other forms of corrupt businesses that unfortunately are among society. These businesses with each transaction, if a Jew is behind the wheel, that Jew has to know that every single transaction that they make, every dollar they make, every receipt that's issued, every invoice they sign, every contract is giving Amalek more strength, both spiritually and physically. And people will suffer severely as a result of each and every one of those transactions. And if they think that it's not a big deal, after you show them Torah sources that say otherwise, then you know that they're so addicted to this corruption They're so addicted to materialism. They're so addicted to winning an argument, even if their side is full of lies. They're so addicted to fast money. They're so addicted to the filth that they've developed a spiritual klipa that deters them from anything that contradicts their life. Makes them see the truth as false and the falsehood as true makes them see the sin as positive and the mitzvah as negative. And this is not a new invention, but rather something that our sages elaborated on. And the Mesilat Yesharim was one of the sages that elaborated on it in his Famous Sefer, the Ramchal, famous Sefer, the Mesidat Yisharim, Path of the Just. In chapter 3, called The Elements of Vigilance, the Mesidat Yisharim tells us and elaborates on this point. And he says that the Gemara in Masayid Baba Batra, page 78b, brings a verse. A verse from the Torah, from Sefer Bamidbar, chapter 21, verse 27, which says, Therefore the allegorists said, Come to Cheshbon. And therefore those who rule over their evil inclinations say, 
come to evaluate the balance sheet of the world, which is a play on the word cheshbon, which is really referring to an Amorite city, but also means a balance sheet, where the Baalei Musal, the people that want to get closer to Hashem, the people that are looking to serve Hashem, say, come and let's do an accounting. Let's do an accounting on the world. Which world? First of all, most, our own personal world. And start evaluating the loss of a mitzvah versus the gain of a mitzvah. The gain of a transgression versus the loss of a transgression. What is the ramification of if I do a mitzvah? What is the ramifications if I don't do a mitzvah? What is the ramification if I make a sin? What is the ramification if I avoid a sin? Many people don't realize that avoiding a sin is a mitzvah that is so great that it's even more significant than a positive mitzvah. Where to avoid a sin, you are expected from Shemaim to expend all of your resources just to avoid it. Whereas a positive mitzvah, to do a positive commandment, there's a limitation of how much you're expected to expend in order to fulfill that mitzvah. So the people that are looking to serve Hashem are saying it's through an accounting, an evaluation. What does each one of my sins cost me really? What is each one of my mitzvot really yielding? And this, the Mesilat Yesharim says, this is because truthful advice of this nature can only be given and can only be appreciated by those who have already freed themselves from the control of the Yetzirah, the Satan, and rule over the Satan himself. Because one who re- remains imprisoned by his own evil inclination can neither see nor grasp the truth. His evil inclination literally blinds his eyes and he is like one who walks in darkness and cannot see the obstacles before him. And it says, for the darkness of night can lead to two errors. Which two errors? Two errors of judgment. One, it will blanket the eyes so that the individual will not see what's before them. Or it will deceive the person like a pillar appears to him as a person and a person as a pillar meaning that the when a person can't see clearly it's not just one possibility of an error but rather multiple possibilities first and foremost they could simply miss the danger there's a danger right in front of them they're simply not paying attention not paying attention They don't realize that there is tragedy coming straight at them. Why? They're too focused on the mountains. Yeah, but you're standing on train tracks and there's a train coming at you. They don't realize the train's coming at them. On the other hand, there's another form of tragedy, which is their blurred vision makes them see the wrong thing. Where they wave to somebody that they see, oh, it's my buddy. Hey, Steve, 
What's up, man? And Steve doesn't wave back. It's like, what's up with Steve? What? We're not friends anymore? Okay, fine. Call his friends. Listen, take off Steve off the list. Don't invite him to the uh, wedding. Why? What happened? I don't know. He's got some attitude. Doesn't even want to say hi to me. And guess what? Steve wasn't even there. It was just a pole. It's a pole. It's a different person. It was a different thing. But he jumped to conclusions. So when a person does not have control of his yetzerah, his evil inclination, has not overcome him, he's subject to a lot of risks. And the Mesilat Yesharim says that this causes two errors. When it comes to the material and corporate world, this leads to two different errors. Where one, it prevents an individual from seeing the obstacles standing before him that are in this world. And it distorts, and the second is that it distorts their perception. How is this so? First, when it comes to not seeing the obstacles that are in this world, it's like the fool that walks confidently, stumbling and perishing without any prior awareness of fear. As Shlomo Melech described in Mishlein, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 19, the path of the wicked is like darkness. They know not on what they stumble. Or he said that the clever person saw wrongdoing and concealed himself. And the foolish person committed the transgression and was punished. Or that the fool is filled with transgressions, but yet he feels secure. This we see many times among heretics. Heretics that do not see anything wrong with their heresy. Them saying that there are contradictions in the Torah. Them saying that the law does not apply to them or to people. Because they don't live in Israel or they're not at a certain level. Or people that simply ignore the law altogether, thinking... Oh, I follow other laws, which is what the Christians have been saying for 2,000 years. They follow other laws. People are still trying to figure out what laws those are, but nonetheless, the ways of the heretics and the idolaters are not very different. So this control by the Yitzhak, the evil inclination, that starts with an addiction to a desire first and foremost, causes a person to not even see the wrong in his way. But the second, says the Ramchal, the second error is greater than the first. Where the person has a distorted perception to the degree where they see evil as if it was beneficial and good. And they see good as if it was harmful to them. Where you tell a guy, listen, why don't you go and spend an hour, two hours learning Torah? Ah, oh, nah, that's boring. Why can't I do something fun like, I don't know, go to a club or something, or watch sports, or maybe uh, go to the beach? This is a distorted perception. He thinks that Torah is bad, and the beach 
and sports and some nightclub is good. And he believes it. And he's convinced by it. And he thinks you're crazy for thinking otherwise. No, I'm not going to be, I'm not really that religious. There's nothing to do with being religious. Do you want to follow God's instruction set and have eternity of good, which includes good in this world? Or do you want to simply forsake God's instruction set and have an eternity of bad, including an eternity of bad in this world? Which is very easy to verify without even going and waiting for Gainum to happen. Simply look at the people that have all of their desires met. The Hollywood, the celebrities, the rich, anyone that actually read the bios of those people, anyone that have actually heard the interviews, saw the reports of their life, see that if you have a normal mind, you see that their life is literally a living hell. It's surprising that they don't do even more movies just to escape the reality that they call their life. All types of filthy addictions to, 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 to all types of promiscuity, uh, strange fetishes, uh, addictions to notoriety and respect and like a homeless person in the street begs for change they beg for people to take pictures of them and to acknowledge them and and to to give them a a, a, a like it's a pathetic life endless amount of divorces and hardships dissolved relationships a endless road full of heartbreaks uh, all types of uh, uh, just horrible horrible addictions a nightmare of a life every single one of them with no exception every single one of them with no exception the ones that seem fine is simply the ones that keep the secret even bigger than the rest why that's just a reality without Torah a reality without Torah is a tragedy and the more people have their desires fulfilled, as we discussed in one of our films that came out recently, The World of Lies, the more they have their desires fulfilled because they have the ability, they have the, in essence, the blessing, which is really a curse of having the money, the resources, the influence to acquire whatever they want, the more tragic their life becomes, where normal intimacy with their spouse is no longer enough. They want with somebody else too. After a while, that's no longer enough. They want with somebody else that's somebody else. After a while, that's not enough. So they want somebody else that's actually familiar with that other somebody else. So it kind of actually seems like it's a, you know, forbidden fruit. That's even worse than the first forbidden fruit. And after that's not enough, they go to something that's completely forbidden fruit, which is somebody either of the same gender or somebody that they're not even allowed to be in the same room with because they're a child of pedophilia and, and, and rape and, and, and all types of harassment and nightmare. Nightmare for society, especially. And that's not enough. They have to supplement all of these things with drugs and alcohol and all types of chemicals and all types of bad people. But when showtime comes up, when they, they have to show up on the red carpet, they'll go and transform their entire body, putting it through endless hardship, endless trauma, working it out, starving themselves, 
doing all types of things that are literally destroying their body just for their body to fit in a certain pants or a certain dress so somebody could hopefully take a picture of them and put it in a magazine because then they feel like life is worth it. Is it, is it surprising that the suicide rate in, in Hollywood is much higher than it is in homeless shelters? No, it's not surprising at all. Well, those in Hollywood seem like they have everything and those in the homeless shelter seem like they have nothing. Many times it's quite the opposite. Many times it's quite the opposite. And the person that's addicted to fulfilling their desires is already in a bad shape. If he's able, if she's able to fulfill those desires, each time they fulfill those desires, they make that klipa even thicker, which makes their vision even more blurry than it was. And they make the good look even worse than it did before. And they make the evil look even tastier than what it is. And even when they get to the point where they realize the crack that they're addicted to, the cocaine they're addicted to, the adultery that's ruining their life, the the pedophilia that's destroying society, all of the corruption they're involved in, they realize it's not good. They're too far in to the point where they feel like they're either hopeless and they just have to continue or they simply commit suicide. But yet there's an endless line of fools that want to do the same thing they do because they figure they'll do it differently why because they see a small part of that superstar's life they see a small part of that superstar's life that's on the field small part of that superstar's life on the screen and they i want to be that guy i want to be that actor i want to be that actress i want to get all that attention not realizing that's the satan pulling them by a string just to get you making the evil look good and the mesilat yesharim says that the fact that you haven't put a harness around your yetzerah your evil inclination has made you addicted to the sin even before you committed it and the second you commit it, you start looking at the sin as good. As the Gemara in Masechet Yoma says, after a person makes the same sin twice and doesn't get punished, he starts to look at it as if it's permissible. To compare it to some recent news, the first time that Goldberg brought in a, a Christian missionary and nobody punished him, it wasn't discouraging enough for him to do it again. So after he did it the second time and nobody punished him, he started viewing it as good. And that's why by the third and the fourth time he brought a Christian missionary to his synagogue, not only did he fight for it even more than he fights for the Torah, for the mitzvot and for everything else, but you have a bunch of other rabbis that have joined them along the way over the last couple of years, also inviting Christian missionaries to their synagogues, or inviting themselves to the Christian channels and the Christian places in order to partner up with our frenemies. The Mesilat Yesharim says that not only do these people lack the ability to see the truth and perceive the evil that is before them, they also think that they can find analytical proof 
and concrete evidence to draw from life to support the evil ideas and their deceitful opinions. And this is an overpowering evil that embraces them and carries them to Be'el Shachat. What's Be'el Shachat? Genom. Be'el Shachat is one of the chambers in Genom. Says the Mesilat Yesharim, those people that you see using different types of analytical proofs to justify their evil, Torah sources that negate Alacha, meaning they distort Alacha in order to go against Alacha. Justify evil. Those people are in the worst shape in society. Because they are at a point where this evil has become an overpowering evil that embraces them at all times to the point where it's literally going to carry their neshama right into Genom. So how could a person be saved if he or she realizes right now, I may not be this person that's bringing missionaries to shuls or tells people they don't have to believe in the Torah or, or, or they can believe in a, in, a, in a person as a God or as a, as a middleman between me and God or all types of false beliefs. They're not those people that say God needs you or anything like that. But they know that they are addicted to a certain sin, a certain desire, whether it be immorality of wasting seed, adultery, promiscuity, uh, uh, desecration of Shabbat, desecration of, uh, of the Torah in different forms. Uh, they're, they're addicted to corruption, stealing. Some people feel like they have a hand in everything. And if they don't, they make sure their hands is there. So a person sees, okay, it's not good. And I'm addicted to it. So I get out, how do I get out of it? Says the Mesilat Yisharim. Those who have left this prison know the truth of these matters completely and are thereby capable of advising others. How is this so? It's the same as a gazebo, where somebody is in a gazebo, it's like a maze, and he's walking through the maze, and from his perspective, says the Ramchal, everything looks the same. He doesn't fully know if he's going in the right direction or not because everything looks the same. He's in a maze. All the trees look the same. Everything looks the same. So he doesn't actually know whether he's going in the right direction or not. But you know who does? Somebody that is standing over the gazebo. Somebody that's standing over the gazebo because he already went through it. He got to the end. He's looking at things from a different perspective. And he's looking at you while you're inside that gazebo. You're inside that maze. So no, no, don't take a left. It's a trap. Make a right. A right? A right looks so hard. No, no, no. Make a right. But it's so long. Make a right. It's the only right direction. And if you smart, you listen to him. Because he went through it. And he knows the way out. 
And he doesn't have that addiction you do. Because his Yetzirah is under control. It's not that he doesn't exist. It's under control. Everybody has an evil inclination. But his evil inclination has transferred into something else. The point that he already overcame is under control. And it's at a point where he can advise you on that thing. On other things that he himself is struggling with, she herself is struggling with, perhaps they can't guide you with. But the things they went through, the maze they went through, the maze that they're looking at, that's right under them, that they can guide you on. And that's what the Messiah Yisharim says. He says, this calls to mind a garden in the shape of a maze. And the goal of someone walking through this maze is to reach a gazebo in the center of the garden. And one who walks along these paths is not capable of seeing or knowing at all if he's taking the right route or is mistaken. Since they all look the same to the observer and unless he has prior experience and a keen eye, having been there once before, he knows the, uh, that he would know the route. Now, a person that's actually standing on the gazebo sees all the paths before him and discerns the correct ones from the false ones and is capable of forewarning those who are walking through them. This is the route. Take it. And any person willing to, to place his trust in this individual will reach the designated place and one who will not be willing to do this and follows his own eyes instead will surely remain lost and fail to reach it. The Mishilat Yesharim tells us that a person can get to a point where they're so addicted to a sin, they're so addicted to heresy, that they see it as good and they see mitzvot as bad. They see serving Hashem as boring. They see religiosity as something negative. Whereas promiscuity, materialism, drugs, and all types of other filthy tools of the Satan are what they look for, are what they yearn for. They see the evil as good and good as evil. So much so that the more committed they are to this evil, the more likely this evil is going to carry them into Gehenom itself. But then there are people that have already gone through it in some form or another. They're looking at things from a different perspective, from experience, from Torah, and they can tell you, you're going in the wrong direction. How do you know? I've gone through it. Yeah, but maybe you, yours was different. No, no, no. It's not different. You're inside the maze. I'm outside the maze. You're looking straight and see everything the same. I'm looking down and see, make a right, make a left, go up, go down. You'll get to your destination. We have a different perspective. You want the falsehood to be right. I know it can never be. 
when a person listens to such a person about tshuva if you will the mesilat yesharim says they now have the ability to get out of the trouble they've put themselves in but one that does not listen and simply tries to do it on their own continue their own way is destined to continue falling and remain lost and therefore those that rule over their evil inclination who have already reached the gazebo and have already left the path and have clearly seen all the routes before them they're competent to advise whoever is willing to listen and we must place our trust in them and what is the advice that they give us come to Cheshbon come for self-accounting come and evaluate the balance sheet of the world for they have already experienced and seen and learned that this alone is the true way for man to attain the goodness that he sees and none other he brings the prophet jeremiah in echa chapter 3 verse 40 that says let us seek out our ways and examine them return to the eternal meaning that the mesilat yesharim the ramchal rabbi chaim Moshem zato one of the greatest sages over the last few hundred years and ever a great sage that the gaon mi vilna said that he wanted to go visit him and when we found out that he already passed away the Gaomi Vilna said that if he was still alive, I, will, I would crawl on my knees until the end of the world just to go see him once. That's how great the Ramchal was. That our own very dear Gaomi Vilna, the Vilna Gaon that we're reading is Igeret, said I would have crawled on my knees to go see him. He says, you want to get out of that maze, those addictions, that falsehood that heresy you have to listen to somebody that went through it you have to listen to somebody that's looking at things from a different perspective and not just a perspective that's superficial that's theoretical but rather someone that was in the maze why because they don't just have the knowledge from the book they have the knowledge from their own blood sweat and tears perhaps this is another reason why the Gemara in Masechet Brachot says that the place that Baalet Tshuva reach, even a person that was righteous their whole life cannot reach. Not that the Baal Tshuva is greater than them by default, but rather the Baal Tshuva can reach levels that a person that was always righteous cannot reach because he simply cannot gain that experience of overcoming these addictions, these desires that are bad for you without ruining his righteousness so great that he's righteous and all of our children grow up their entire life only righteous but our sages teach us that when there is someone that has done tshuva and is continuing to elevate themselves closer and closer to hashem that's not a person that you should say oh they're just religious like everybody else no you need to do whatever you can to learn from them because they have things that even the greatest rabbis in the world cannot teach you they have certain experiences that are unteachable in the same fashion 
just from theoretical knowledge. Now, the beauty is that when you combine both the Torah of the greatest sages in the world and the overcoming of the addictions and the desires and the falsehood and the garbage, you not only can make yourself into something special, but you can make a family of special, a community of special, a society of special. But that requires the one main thing that the Gaon Vilna said has to be done, which is a destruction of the stone heart. The Gemara in Masechet Sukkah, page 53, says that if the Menuval, the despicable Yetzirah, comes to you, pull him to the Bet Midrash, pull him to the world of Torah, go learn, that's how you overcome him. If he's a rock, crush him. If he's a metal, blow him up. What do you mean if he's a rock? What do you mean if he's a metal? There are sages teach us that the Yetzirah comes in different forms. Not just he comes to you in different ways, like from the other Gemara that we learned, where he has seven names, and he comes to you in the form of a woman, man, money, drugs. No, not just that. But rather, different form. Rock or metal. Why? Rabbi says, rock... You crumble it and it has minerals and those minerals can be very beneficial you can do other things with them metal you can't crumble it in fact the minerals in it are destructive to the ground as far as growing crops and so on to teach us this analogy is to teach us that there's a yetzara, there's an evil inclination that's a rock. You have to break it, you have to destroy it, but thereby learn how to use that evil inclination for good. Take the good out of it and use it. You have a very ambitious mentality chasing money, chasing women, chasing all types of desires. That's terrible. But it's not altogether terrible. You can use that same passion to go chase more Torah, more innovation in, 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 in the way to teach people, communicate with people, help people. Use that passion to help people get closer to Hashem. Use that addiction to learn more and do more good. Use the good of that Yetzirah, of that evil inclination. Use the good parts of it to serve Hashem. But then there is evil, like the metal. Nothing good will come out of it. You have to blow it up. Meaning, it has to be destroyed and eliminated altogether. Your addiction to immorality, your addiction to drugs, your addiction to corruption, has to be eliminated. There is no other way. You cannot enter Gan Eden with blood on your hands, whether that blood is from the immorality 
of wasted seed and otherwise, or the blood is from stolen money. Stolen money that was acquired in an honest business. It's always an honest business. And dishonest gains. That evil inclination has to be destroyed. Has to be removed. There is no other way. But there is a part of that evil inclination. The rock part. That you can't use good out of it. But why do both of them have to be destroyed? Why can't it just say, stop doing it? Because the Ramchal and the Gaon Mivilna and our sages in the Gemara and all of the greatest sages in history have taught us that when we make many sins, we become addicted to them so much so that we start looking at them as mitzvot. We start looking at the evil as good. So much so that it develops a klipa around our pure neshama and that klipa, that shell becomes like a rock. And there's simply no way to get to the truth, no way for us to accept the truth without breaking that rock. So how do we break that rock and what does that have to do with Ganom? The topic of this whole shiur. Everything. You see, Rabotai, some people have such a thick klipa that you tell them, you know, God does so much for you. Why don't you do something back for him and put on tefillin? You Jewish, put on tefillin. And I'll tell you, you Jewish, go fly a kite. Doesn't care. Some people, simply, they won't accept it. They're addicted to their sins. They're addicted to their lifestyle. They like eating non-kosher food. They like being with immodest, immoral women. They like being the immoral woman. She likes walking around and having the whole neighborhood look at her. She likes it. So you tell her, God is so good to you. He gave you beauty. Why are you causing people to sin? Oh, it's their problem if they're sinning. They don't have to look. She doesn't see the damage she's causing in society. She doesn't realize that at least one or two couples are going to fight because she walked by. Either because the husband looked at her or because the wife looked at her. The husband looked at her and the wife got jealous. Why are you looking at a different woman? The woman looked at her and started feeling bad about herself and started becoming depressed and telling her husband she doesn't want to live anymore. Yeah, but what about our five, six kids? I don't know, I'm depressed. I used to be 90 pounds. Okay, I used to be nothing. I used to be a piece of meat inside my mom. I'm not crying over that. No, you don't understand. Why is she? Why does she have this thought after having kids, having a family, having everything? Why? She looked at some putza walking around and she imagined herself being that person. She thinks that's good. And guess what? That girl that walked around immodest, walked around with different body parts showing no arms, no legs, she's going to get a punishment. Oh, what a punishment she's going to get. If the woman that used to fast 
and publicize her mitzvot for the sake of gaining pride and honor got a punishment of being the doorstopper in Gainom. just imagine what the woman that's walking around with a wig longer than the exile and a skirt shorter than our problems imagine 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 what kind of punishment the woman's going to get for a single act of immodesty needless to say a single act of immorality where she actually acts on it she meets a steve or a joe and she becomes joe's wife for the day or the week or even a few years and she doesn't realize for every single time every single time she will get punished severely she doesn't realize that every look is a punishment every thought is a punishment when he thought about her while he was with his wife she will get punished for it meaning that the ramifications of her simple walk to the store are so horrendous that it's impossible to quantify how much damage she's causing to herself and how much damage she's causing to society all of a sudden the guy that wants to get married doesn't want to get married anymore why because his future fiance doesn't look like this barbie doll that just walked by all of a sudden the woman that was happily married with a few kids doesn't want to be married anymore she wants to go to the gym and look like a prostitute all of a sudden the newly married man doesn't want to be a newly married man why because he figures maybe i could do better and all of a sudden the new newly married woman doesn't want to have kids why it'll ruin her body and she wants to continue looking like she's some steak 90 pounds all of a sudden the grandparents the grandparents of that daughter cry to themselves for not giving the money to the parents to send the kid to a seminary that she can get proper education about modesty all of a sudden the parents are disappointed that their daughter that admires the celebrity acted like the celebrity only that their daughter ended up pregnant at 14 years old with some guy they don't even know his name and all of a sudden there's a new baby in the world with no father and all of a sudden there are plenty of people that want to make all types of immoral crimes on their own and whoever is going to pay attention to them and all of it is going to go to her account too she went to the store she walked in the park she acquired herself an endless amount of sins that could only be competed by a guy wasting seed because that's literally how many sins she acquired and often she'll even acquire more sins than the guy that wasted seed why because she led to him wasting seed she was on a film she was on a TikTok, pickpock facebook she put her pictures on the internet what it's just my face yeah but why are you puckering your lips like i don't know some strange creature oh it's not cute well, Gainom, they'll find it very cute when they fry it like a steak. 
Oh, why do you talk like that? Because that's what's going to happen. They'll hang you by your lips. Where does it say that? Rashid Chochma. Rashid Chochma. Masechet Geno says exactly that. And other places of your body will be used as special ways to hang you. Why do you talk so harsh? Because that's how you break the rock. Why is Geinom a standard subject in the Mesilat Yesharim? The Ramchal. Chasid Yesod Olam. Why is he talking about Geinom? Why is Baal Shem Tov? The Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh talk about Geinom. Why does the Gemara talk about Geinom? Why does the Rambam talk about Geinom in a Allah book? Yad Chazaka. In a section of Ilchot um, Tshuva. Several times of him mentioning Geinom. Why does he make Geinom one of the 13 principles of faith? Meaning that it is a requirement for a Jew to believe in the punishment of Geinom, thereby believing in the punishment of Chibut Kevel, Kafakela, all of the horrible things. Why? Why does everybody have to listen to it, follow it, engrave it into their heart? Because our desires, our commitment to sins, our passion for the wrong thing has turned our hearts into stone. Sometimes a stone heart for one sin, sometimes for a life of sins, but nonetheless, a heart of stone. And the only way to break that stone is with something violent. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu in His mercy says, I'm going to divinely inspire my sages, my messengers, my prophets, Tanaim, Amoraim, Gdoleado, to give prophecies, to give teachings, to give insights all across all spectrums of the Torah they give you the details of punishment of what happens after this life is over in this world the reincarnation into animals reincarnation into rocks reincarnation into cats like we reported in a story today reincarnation of a Jew into a Gentile body or vice versa reincarnation of all types of strange things Kafakelov having a neshama destroyed in such a fashion that its only hope is to escape the destructive angels and enter into another human being just to park there for long enough time to avoid suffering just for a few moments. 
called the Dibuk. To have a new role in the world instead of serving Hashem by doing mitzvot, serving Hashem by being a demon and torturing people in nightmares and all types of other strange things. Why? Why do the, te- why do the teachers we have, our sages, our holy sages, our prophets, why do they talk about all this? Because the only way to break that rock to make the metal explode is through violence. And it's two forms of violence. One, learn about what happened to others. Learn about what happened to others that went against Hashem and ended up in Geinom. And what Akadosh Baruch Hu did to those women that walked around with their chest sticking out and tight clothes and lips puckered. Learn from the prophet Isaiah that saw Geinom with his own eyes. And how those very same women were hanging by those body parts in Geinom. Learn what happened to all those men that ignored the teachings of Kedusha and wasted seed and therefore had to hang by their male members and even the ones that didn't sin as much still had to have special angels have a spiritual surgery on that male member once they already arrived in the real world to remove all of the rust spiritual rust that desecrated their bleat painful painful surgery because they didn't finish their tshuva they didn't do the tikkunim so there has to be something learn about all of those horrific stories of kafakela horrific midrashim to talk about chibuta kevel learn about what happens to all of those people that today they are the wicked leaders but as david melech says they're like grass that they uproot they they grow fast look like they're doing great just a little bit of rain falling on them and it looks like they're doing great but in a second they're cut off as if they never existed the tree on the other hand takes a while to grow Looks like nothing's happening. The tree is the righteous. But the tree, once it's there, it's strong, survives, prospers, it bears fruit. The grass of the wicked grows fast, looks like they're winning. But says David the Melech, in time they'll be uprooted and eliminated as if they never existed learn those stories learn those scary stories of what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah in the Tower of Babel learn what happened at the time of Noah and how Hashem destroyed the world by melting the biggest giants into liquid learn the horrific details of what happens to a person who desecrates Hashem's name 
learn the details of what will happen to the rich who do not give the appropriate amount of tzedakah or do not give tzedakah to the appropriate places learn what the chafetz chaim said about such people learn about what rabbi akiva saw with his own eyes of people that came to this world and only he was able to see them burning learn why because the more you learn those things the bigger the dent you're gonna make on that stone of a heart of yours that's connecting to the sins that got people to those places but perhaps you don't want to learn like many people perhaps people don't want to learn the truth and they want to live their life I did tell you there's two options and our sages say there are two options both are violent necessary violence but both are violent one is you learn apply and fix two Hashem will teach Hashem will teach one day a person could be like many people top of the world on his boat fishing on a Tuesday having a good time has enough money in the bank and whatever desires he wants and even cell phone reception in the middle of the ocean sounds good until he gets a phone call hey Joe you there sounds like you're having a good time yeah who's this oh it's your doctor oh yeah doc what's up well listen uh I gotta talk to you well listen I'm out in the ocean I can't what do you want well I know I gotta talk to you I gotta talk to you now um listen uh I don't want to ruin your day but uh you know that check that you came here two weeks ago yeah well it came back with something what do you mean it came back with something well we sent it to the biggest experts and uh they not only found something but they said that uh you uh you have a uh you have a disease that's gonna kill you you only you only have two weeks to live wow okay so what, what, what was the other thing you want to tell me we've been trying to reach you for two weeks a person's entire life collapses in front of their eyes they were on top of the world the moment before that the boat the money notoriety TV appearance a book deal whatever arm candy they chose in a second their avoidance and mocking of the Torah and the God that created it comes down on them with a wrath that they have no idea what to do with as a Kadosh Baruch Hu said and David Amelch quotes don't think that just because I didn't punish you I'm like you you thought I was like you because I didn't punish you and then he tells us that those that go against him the time will come where you put his hands around them and no one will be able to save them Taylim 
Psalms. It's not even something that you get from mystical part that people like to go against. Simple, basic level Judaism. So you ask yourself, why isn't everything I just said and more taught on a regular basis at least once a week in every single yeshiva, every single synagogue, and at least gets a two to five minute clip out of every rabbi that speaks publicly each month. You know, just like they publish all the other nonsensical clips that tell nothing to nobody. How come? Well, guys, maybe our klipa is so big that we're holding back the truth from ourselves so much so that we're influencing the speakers to be scared to tell us the truth. Or maybe what like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said, that most people that are going to lead the generation before Mashiach are not going to be people of truth, but rather people of lies. Or maybe a combination of both. Maybe we have to pray to Hashem to give us the truth. And the truth will come. Maybe we have to show Hashem that we want the truth. And the truth will come. We'll finalize it with what the prophet Isaiah prophesied to us and what the sages elaborated on it. It will happen as part of the salvation, the good. The good that will happen for all of us that do tshuva, that try our best to overcome the addictions, to overcome the evil, to overcome the heresy that's inside each and every single one of us in some form or another, to overcome the arrogance, to overcome the need for sins, to overcome all the things that are against Hashem. The prophet says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will reward those people. How? I will cleanse you from your contamination and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and, a, and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Rashi says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu promises those people that do tshuva, those people that do tshuva, He will help them. He will renew their heart to desire good rather than the idolatry they desire, rather than the equality that's really unequal. He will change our hearts so that we will accept His word with complete love. The Ababanel says that the lust that we have inside us that comes from the evil inclination will be redirected into a powerful desire that instead of it being desire for sin and for satisfying our animal instincts, that desire will redirect it to allowing our intellect to control our heart and will now turn into desire for doing good holy and positive what about the removing of the heart of stone 
says the Baalim Etzudot, and also the, the Mari, that this removal of the heart of stone is that our inclination for idolatry and sin and filth is comparable to a heart of stone. A heart that's so devoted to sins that it actually resists the truth. And therefore, the Rashid Chokhmah says that the Holy One, blessed is He, says to Am Yisrael that if we remove a little bit of our evil inclination, fight it a little bit, you fight the evil inclination in this world, then He promises that in the world to come, you will remove it completely. And give us a heart that only desires the best. The best for our own neshamot. A heart that the Radak says is soft and can easily receive the fear of the Almighty. Receive it. Receive all of those teachings that scare us, but we need it. We need it to constantly remind us what not to do. We need it to remind us of that we're going in the right direction. Learning about scary stuff makes you feel good. Why? Because either it's warning you from things so you don't do them, or it's giving you encouragement that now that you're doing the good things, this bad stuff won't happen to you. So unlike what the Yetzirah says to people, that if you learn about this bad stuff that happens to sinners, it'll depress you, it's completely falsehood. We're not saying just learn that only all the time. You have to obviously learn other parts of the Torah. The Torah is huge. But to learn it on a regular basis is necessary, especially if you have a heart of stone about something or another. Why? Because learning about it is either going to stop you from making that sin over and over again and destroying your eternity, or better yet, it'll make you even feel greater than you already feel because you now know that because you're going in the right direction and because you're listening to the truth, you're not going to have those bad things happen to you. Those bad things, they happen to bad people. Bad people from a Kadosh Baruch perspective. Those bad people may be viewed as nice people by their peers, but a Kadosh Baruch says they were bad. Not that they hurt Hashem, they hurt themselves. Their evil hurt themselves and thereby hurt the people around them. Zakadosh Baruch Hu promises us that He's going to help us if we help ourselves. We fight our evil inclination a little bit here and He'll destroy it altogether in the world to come. And Abarbanel elaborates that this does not mean that Akadosh Baruch Hu is going to remove the free choice that people have. Because people have to have free choice in order to earn the reward. But rather the conditions of the world are going to change once Mashiach comes where people will see the truth clearly and Hashem's miracles will be in such a way that it will become easy to serve Hashem and fear Him. Bezat Hashem. This too will be a teaching that strengthens each and every single one of us and gives us the courage to 
continue fighting our own evil inclinations, our own animalistic desires that are out of control, that are forbidden, that are abomination, our own corruption, whether it be in business or in the way we run synagogues and yeshivot, our own corrupt ideologies that are antithetical to the Torah, whether in a single house, synagogue, or an entire community. And Be'ezot Hashem, we all do enough to earn more truth from the Almighty. You're never going to believe it. The Christian missionaries, one for Israel, Eitan and Moti, Anastasia, the rest of the team, they're attacking us and they're lying again. Well, actually, you are going to believe it because missionaries have been doing that for about 2,000 years. Well, let the show go on. About a year ago, on February 28, 2021, we released a short film, which was an excerpt of an older lecture, where I told the story of Rabbi Daniel Lasor telling that told the story to my rabbi, Rabbi Frank Kachlon, where he met with Eitan uh, Bar and uh, Moti at a uh, cafe where they had a debate. And after that debate, they, uh, they they you know the missionaries of course lost the debate and they got violent and they uh, uh, the expression that I use they uh, tried to break his bones. Now, of course, I didn't say they actually beat him up, and anyone that watches the film, which is called What Happened When Missionaries One for Israel Met Rabbi Daniel Asor, Phil. I didn't say they actually beat him up, but I used the expression that's very common among us, the Middle Eastern, Sephardics, especially Israelis. Nonetheless, this is not the first time anybody's used that expression, but I said they tried to break his bones. Never actually say they beat him up, but the missionaries, they took that as that. They said that I did say that they beat him up, and I am a liar. And they came out with a video about a month and a half later, on April 6th, where they said that I have uh, maliciously lied about them. I said that they beat him up. Uh, they, uh, you know, they're victims. They, uh, this is another example of how the uh, the rabbis are lying about uh, about the uh, the Christians in order to slow them down, and on and on and on and on and on. Just simply the same show over and over again where the missionaries play victim while actually being the perpetrator, the missionaries lying about being liars. So, this happened a year ago. And of course, we didn't have a, uh, a response video to it. We didn't respond to it at all. We simply just let people see what the truth is and decide for themselves. Of course, many people contacted me because these guys spent a ton of money, a ton of money to market this video of theirs, which was publishing our video. Why would you do such a thing? If you notice the statistics, which we're going to put on the screen, anyone that's familiar with, you know, launching videos on the internet and so on knows that the first week or so after you launch a video is when you're going to get the majority of your, of your views. So after the first week that we launched this video, our video, I got about 3,300 views. It's a not bad, Baruch Hashem, that's what we got. Now, 
after that week it died out so for the next month and a half or so which was the time period between that and when they launched their video on april 6th well it only got a couple of hundred more views so by the time they actually launched their video on april 6th the video our video got 3750 views now after that after they launched their video and you see over the next couple of months in fact our video woke up again as a result of their video and doubled its views got another 3700 views so in essence their video market on our video even better than what we do for ourselves and over the next year since then it continued increasing as their video continued increasing now what's the difference their video got over 106,000 views to date we're now in february of 2022 their video has 106,000 views our video has about 10,000 views so we're talking about a factor of 10 10 to 1. now why would they spend so much effort time uh, a uh, resources money to market this video if it was so damaging to hear what i said that they supposedly beat them up if anything you should quiet it down you should uh, uh, not market it i mean technically my video already died out by the time you marketed yours well let me tell you a secret about these missionaries their whole job is to try to gain as much uh, content as possible where that content has to do with any dialogue they have with the rabbinical world so the whole purpose behind them spending a fortune we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars probably uh, is in order to gain more content in order to make themselves look like victims in order to look like make us look like evil people and to show how they are doing the right thing they are righteous and we are wicked well today we're going to show you another real version of what they really are and i promise you it has nothing to do with righteous first and foremost you should know statistically as i said their video marketed ours why would you do such a thing well if you want to if you want to if you have an agenda the first agenda was to show that i was a liar we're going to prove that otherwise in a moment second was that they actually said that uh they were obviously hurt by this whole thing and uh that uh this happened recently that part of my lie was that i said that this meeting between them and the rabbi daniel Asso was recently now everyone that follows my videos knows that we take excerpts of older lectures and uh and make them into short films so the uh everyone understood that this film didn't just happen right there and then it's a uh, but what did they do to make people believe that they took a uh short clip of one of my recent videos and they added it to their video so if you notice my video okay the actual film itself that we published and you see their version of my video you'll see that their version is slightly different what's different they added a picture in picture and in that picture in picture you see me talking so it looks like it's the current version of me it's the more recent version of me that changed looks a little bit over the last few years and you see how oh this this must have happened five minutes ago why because again it adds to it adds to the uh to the feel to the feel that 
They are the victims and we are the liars. But of course, once you actually notice that there is a, uh, uh, this is not authentic, you realize who's the liar. The other thing is that they mentioned that uh, they got a testimony from Rabbi Daniel Asor that he agrees with them that I'm a liar. He said that I'm a liar. Daniel Asor wrote me back and verified in writing that this is an untrue story, a myth, actually using the word a lie. Well, good news is, is that we have to double check that. Did he actually in fact say I'm a liar? Well, let's see. Rabbi Daniel Asor heard, you know, told the story to my rabbi, Rabbi Frank Kachlam. I don't know Rabbi Daniel Asor personally. I've only spoken to him a couple of times in my life, but uh, uh, that was many years ago. But as far as a, uh, as far as this whole story it was really between him and Rabbi Ephraim. So right after they published this video, we reached out. Rabbi Ephraim reached out to him, and they had a uh, communication via WhatsApp. And what did Rabbi Daniel Asor say? You're going to hear it in a moment, and that's the that's the key. You're going to hear him saying it. And he's going to say what actually transpired, that they had the debate. After the debate, Eitan Bar did get physically threatening, bumping his chest into uh, aggressively into Rabbi Daniel Asor as if uh, trying to uh, uh, implicate that he wants to fight him. Rabbi Daniel Asor had to restrain him by taking his two hands and putting them together. Of course, trying to uh, stop something from getting out of hand because he was getting threatening. He was getting violent. And this, Rabotai, is what the missionaries don't want you to believe. So how could it be that Rabbi Daniel Asor called me a liar? He called the story a lie. What's the story a lie? They told him that I said that they hit him. So he said... That's not true. That's a lie. You didn't hit me. So, of course, the question they asked, or the, the, what they said, their statement, which is, in essence, a lie about what I said, is that, yes, they said I, that he, uh, they hit him. He said, no, that's a lie. You didn't hit me. Every, you know, you didn't hit me. But the good news is, I didn't say they hit him. I said they tried, so they got aggressive. And that's why he answered the way he answered. And that's why we had to get this on recording. Not some hearsay. You're gonna hear it from Rabbi Daniel Asor. Em panu elay v'tano shatem pirsantem shatem shavartem litatzamot shem shavru litatzamot shem arbitzu limakot. Az ani amarti shze lo kach shani lo siparti tasipur kach. Nachon aitim shomrei rosh rav ayasham yichiam manel machlaka. נגד נצרות, היה שם בנימין קלוגר. נכון, מה זה יכול להתלהם? אני, כשאני אומר, הוא יכול להתלהם. נכון, הוא ניסה, כאילו, הוא בא עם החזה שלו, ונכון, אני הצמדתי לו את הידיים, אבל זה לא לשבור את העצמות, זה לא להרביץ מכות, זה לא... הוא לא תקף, מה זה תקף? זה מה שהיה, אני מספר לך בדיוק מה היה, תקרא לזה איך שאתה רוצה לקרוא לזה. 
זה הכל, הוא, נכון, הוא התחיל להתלהם, הוא בא עם החזה שלו ונצמדתי לו את הידיים, זה הכל. וחשבתי שלכן לא ראוי להיפגש איתו שוב פעם. כל העניין האם להיפגש איתו שוב או לא, כשהוא ביקש להיפגש לוויכוח, ואמרתי שאין מה להיפגש עם בן אדם כזה. שאז הוא היה בחור צעיר והיום הוא, לא יודע, כבר עושה דוקטורט בתחום, אבל טענתי שזה יהיה חיול השם לחשוף את הסטודנטים מאוניברסיטת תל אביב לוויכוח מהסוג הזה, לתת לו במה. ואדם שהתנהג לא, לא ראוי לדעתי בסוף המפגש הזה, לא שווה להיפגש איתו וגם לא שווה לתת לו במה. זה הכל. I've been sitting on this for over a year because there was simply no reason to expose this to the public. I had a couple of close students that knew about it. The rest of the people, there was simply no reason. But now, there is a reason. It's time to show the real face of the lying, filthy, filthy, lying missionaries, Eitan and Moti, from One for Israel and the rest of their staff. Ba'uch Adonai Amen ve'amen.